Yeah, well, everything we create, when we make something, whether it's a product or a, or a novel or a conference, a meeting, an experience, everything that we create is a tangible manifestation of ourself. Whatever we create reflects who we are as people, our values, our virtues, our intentions. Um, and, and that, it's passed on to others who consumes or participates in whatever it is that we make. So, um, and so in this sense, design has the power to influence how we think and feel. So like when we put something out there in the universe, we are affecting other people's thoughts and behaviors. Welcome to Digital Mindfulness. I'm your host, Lawrence Ampofo. On the show today, we have Irene Al, design leader and operating partner at Coastal Adventures. Irene started her career at Netscape and was head of user experience and design for Yahoo, Google and Udacity. Irene is also a yoga teacher and it's these experiences which give her a unique perspective on how digital experiences should be designed. You should also listen to this episode if you want to find out how our designs impact the world and how a movement and meditation discipline can make you a better designer. But first of all, welcome to the show. We bring together the best teachers and thought leaders to teach you how to be your best self in an age of digital distraction and information overload. If you're new to the show, then the best place to find out more about us is to visit digitalmindfulness.net forward slash start, which has a collection of some required listening podcasts where we discuss everything from becoming more focused in a, in a distracted world to habit building, overcoming digital distraction, cyberbullying, internet addiction, and much more. Okay, enjoy the show with Irene Al. So Irene, welcome to Digital Mindfulness. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm really excited that you're here with us today. Thanks for having me. So I'm wondering if you can give the audience a little bit of an introduction to you and um, particularly how you came to this point of intersecting between mindfulness, technology and design. Um, well, my background is actually in engineering. I studied electrical and computer engineering because I'm a natural math and science geek. Um, and I spent my career as a designer of digital experiences, uh, specifically on large-scale consumer internet experiences. I began my career at Netscape and then brought user-centered design to Yahoo and built the practice there and ran design at Yahoo for eight years and then went on to Google to run design for six years for all of Google and then uh, worked at a startup called Udacity. We were the first massive online open courseware startup. And uh, now I'm a partner at Coastal Ventures. But somewhere in my Google career, I found my life to be unsustainable, uh, just balancing the career with uh, having two small children and uh, going through divorce. And so I realized at some point that my hips were so tight that I couldn't sit on the floor to play with my kids. And so I realized like something has to change. And so I sought refuge in yoga. Um, and whereas at first it was just a, um, uh, an effort to take care of the body, it really became a life-changing experience. I noticed that not only as my body changed, my mind also began to change. And I had tried practicing yoga and meditation off and on throughout my whole life, ever since I was a teenager. Um, but it wasn't really until I had reached this point of suffering and also combined the two practices together 
that I was really able to um, benefit from from the practice. And uh, as a designer, I have found that the spiritual and the physical practice of yoga uh, informs uh, my practice as a designer and actually makes me a better designer. And, uh, you know, just for example, I, I began to see more clearly, I became a stronger and more effective designer and leader. Um, and then conversely, as a yoga teacher, I, I'm able to teach from the perspective of being a designer. So, so the two inform each other. So I think this is really fascinating. And I wonder if you can tell us how your design experience manifests in yoga and vice versa. How does the design manifest in yoga? Well, um, I often talk about the relationship between creativity and the mind and and yoga. Um, just our ability to be present uh, frees us up to be more creative. Um, and then with yoga, we learn how to um, generate a lot of ideas without judgment. Um, and that's exactly what we need in design. So it's actually, I learned these practices from a mechanical standpoint as a designer, um, and, and could bring them to the design of my yoga classes, like the sequences. And then conversely within the yoga classes, um, we engage in practices that allow us to be more present when we are ideating. Um, and so that we can, um, explore crazy ideas without judgment and uh, before we start editing things down. So one of the most interesting things that you've written is that design is a reflection of ourselves. And, um, and I'm really fascinated by that. And I wonder if you can just expand on that a little bit. What does that mean? And why is that so important? Yeah, well, everything we create, when we make something, whether it's a product or a or a novel, or a conference, a meeting, an experience, everything that we create is a tangible manifestation of ourself. Whatever we create reflects who we are as people, our values, our virtues, our intentions. Um, and, and that, it's passed on to others who consumes or participates in whatever it is that we make. So, um, And so in this sense, design has the power to influence how we think and feel. So like when we put something out there in the universe, we are affecting other people's thoughts and behaviors. Mm, that's just amazing. And, you know, you know, previously you were talking about the role that mindfulness or rather meditation has played in helping you become a better designer. And you just briefly touched on that. But I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit more just about how that works, how it's helped you be a better professional and be a better designer. Like, cause I imagine that a lot of people would be thinking, well, okay, maybe I should just download an app and, you know, I should learn to get, um, 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 you know, a, a meditation practice. But I think, you know, it'd be great if you could talk about like the linkages between the two, particularly as you were working so hard before. So let, maybe it's helpful for me to start with some counter examples. Um, if you think about, and you know, my experience is in the realm of creating digital experiences. So um, if you think about um, um, an experience where um, a product has too many features, you know, and it's just so complicated. Well, why does that happen? Usually that happens out of, uh, 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 out of a, 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 a attachment or striving, you know, this inability to pare down and focus, uh, this constant need to build more and more and more. Um, and actually that leads to a lot of complexity in the product 
that often doesn't serve the users well and then ultimately doesn't necessarily serve the business well. Another example might be companies that engage in business development deals that don't necessarily benefit the user or the business, but they're doing these deals because they're easy deals. And that's a symptom of greed. Um, or, you know, the company that's hard, you know, like struggling to make difficult decisions uh, in service of, you know, some larger strategic mission or goal or in the service of better design, uh, that inability to make difficult decisions often stems from fear. And all of these kinds of challenges, whether it's attachment or striving or greed or fear, those are afflictions of the self. And by engaging in mindfulness practices, we become better able to see ourselves more clearly, to understand, like, what are all these behaviors that I'm doing and why are we doing these things? And then once you start to see yourself more clearly, then you can start to unpack, like, well, is this really important? Do I really need to be doing this? And it becomes easier to let those things go and to shed the ego. So those are some counterexamples. Um, so, you know, good design, it really requires um, strong focus, the ability to empathize with others, and, and a lot of creativity. And mindfulness practices help cultivate all of those skills. Um, good design requires the art of noticing. And uh, you don't notice things unless you pause. And design is all about the details, and you don't see the details until you pause to notice and see. There's a lot of uh, research that has come out in recent years about the physical and mental benefits of mindfulness practices like yoga and meditation and how they help us cultivate better focus, greater empathy for others, and, um, and the ability to be more creative. And all of those are in service of, of, of good design. I'm interested, Irene, like particularly with your example, like you were, you said, you know, you were working really, really hard at the time and you had a lot of other things going on in your life outside of work. How did you then manage to um, start and build and maintain a practice to help you? Yeah, I mean, this is actually one of the reasons why I, one of the reasons why I teach yoga three days a week is uh, partly to hold myself accountable to that um, because I know that I have to be there for my class. It forces me to pra keep practicing, to keep showing up. Uh, my students, uh, the people who show up to my class, they're holding me accountable in that sense uh, because I need to uh, be doing, engaging in the practice in order to teach. Um, so that's one way to, to make sure that I do that. Um, ensuring that I have the physical space within my house to make it easier for me to do it than to not do it is super important. So we have cushions in the house. We actually have like a, a space that's dedicated to meditation where my husband and I meditate every night before going to bed. Um, I have a dedicated space for my yoga practice, um, which has made it really easy um, and totally uh, joyful for me to engage in that. Um, and so I've really designed my life around um, making sure that it's easy for me to do those things. And then moreover, um, you know, I also think that you don't need to necessarily sit on the cushion in order to meditate. You don't necessarily need to have like a, a yoga studio at your house to, uh, to practice yoga. Like you can be practicing all the time 
in any interaction that you have with yourself, with other people, in whatever activity that you're engaging in. And that's really where the real work comes in is when you can start to bring that practice into regular daily interactions and not just on the mat or on the cushion. When my favorite teacher said that he was teaching a yoga teacher training uh, course, I, I was really tempted to do it because even though I didn't really have the time, I wanted to deepen my yoga practice. It wasn't with the intention of becoming a teacher. It was really just to l- deepen my understanding. And when you're practicing yoga and meditation so much, so intensely, which is what I had to do as part of this teacher training course, that's when the shift really happened. And it was like my whole life had changed. I mean, it was really like, it really was like an awakening. Um, and, uh, I just felt so much love for other people and could cultivate compassion and love for even people who tormented me the most. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was really the profound personal shift for me. And I mean, it's hard to talk about some of this, uh, with some people because it sounds very woo woo. Mm. Um, you know, and it's so personal, but, um, you know, it's like, like just as an example, like touching other people when I'm adjusting them, like, um, I just, I just feel so much love, um, when I'm adjusting people and I feel like an, a, a connection to their spirit. That's like apart from the body. I mean, it was, in this yoga teacher training, it was like really the first time I'd really felt it. Like I had, you know, kind of told myself these things at some kind of cognitive level, but it wasn't until I really felt it that I was like, wow, there's something here. Or even, um, I remember there was one time I was in a class where I was teaching and, um, everybody's in Shavasana and I sometimes adjust people while they're in Shavasana to just help them be more comfortable. And I, I touched these, this woman's feet and I felt a wave of sadness wash over me and I started crying. And, um, you know, I don't know if there was like some kind of sad energy that was released from her in the class that I was receiving or, you know, but there was a connection there also in a very meaningful way that, that reached me. And so, you know, those are just a few examples of, um, the profound, shift and and relationship that I have with with others as a result of um of of the practice and it's not just myself with others it's it's the relationship I have with myself um and that's ultimately the most meaningful um outcome of of the work is this connection so for someone who would be interested in taking your path to connecting with people in this way, um, what would you recommend is the best place to start? I always say the best place to start is to start where you are. Um, you know, everybody is starting someplace. I get so many people who say, well, I just can't sit still um, or I'm not that flexible. And, you know, if some people, uh, they prefer to sit, some people can't sit unless they stretch out or move around. Um, that's, I'm more like the latter. Um, so it's, it's good to play around with like how you engage. So if you, uh, don't think that you can sit still for a long time, just start with a minute and then the next day do it for two minutes. And then a few days after that, stretch it out to five minutes. Um, you know, and so just start where you are and then, you know, go from there just a little bit at a time. Same thing with yoga is just to start where you are, start gently, listen to your body, 
And um, I think to really see a shift in the body, you need to practice for maybe three times a week, um, you know, for maybe like 45 minutes to an hour at least, uh, three times a week. Um, and then, you know, as, as you gain strength or as you gain flexibility or whatever, then, you know, you can, it starts to become addictive in a way actually, because it feels so good. Um, but the most important thing that yoga does is that it teaches us how to breathe. And, um, that is really the foundation of yoga and that's, that's everything. So we've spoken briefly about this whole idea of self-reflection and how that's helped you to be a better designer. Um, but I wonder, when you do engage in self-reflection, what's your opinion of this digitized world that we've created for ourselves as human beings? You know, it's uh, it's tricky. I mean, uh, the technology that we have at our hands, uh, the Internet, the World Wide Web, uh, Google, our phones, um, has brought tremendous benefit and convenience to our daily lives and to society. Um, and at the same time, I think it's really important for us to regulate our own consumption of uh, digital media and our use of phones, you know, because a lot of times it can be at the expense of being present um, with what is going on, whether you're with a person or even just, um, you know, living your daily life. And it has also it has, it has almost become a sedative for people. And, you know, in the same way that uh, we might turn to snacking or keeping the TV on all the time uh, to keep us company, you know, these behaviors might be compensating for, um, you know, the, the difficult task of being alone and being with yourself um, or just having quiet. And I think it's really important to be conscious of that so that we can take care of our minds um, in the same way that we need to be conscious of what we're putting into our bodies when we're eating so that we can take care of our bodies. Uh, this is just as important. So it's a, it's a balance that we need to learn how to strike for ourselves. And as a parent, I think about this all the time. It's like, how can I teach my children how to self-regulate and give them the skills to be self-aware about their own um, digital media consumption and use of technology and then you know when is it appropriate or not appropriate when is too much too much so do you think then this capacity for self-reflection um, can be designed into the technologies that we use um, you know I'm, I'm hopeful um, and there are some tools that are really interesting that are coming out now where like you can um, monitor how much time you're spending on particular activities or apps you can set a time limit for yourself um, you know, and say, like, I only want to spend 20 minutes a day on this particular social media app um, and, and things like that. Um, you know, in the same way that uh, uh, activity trackers help us keep track of um, our physical activities or like nutrition labels help us be mindful of um, our sugar intake. You know, there are uh, we're starting to see interesting tools emerge uh, for people to help be more aware and to self-regulate. Um, I personally don't use these tools. I think it's really important to build the muscle within myself. Um, and so I've, I've just tried to practice um, just being more aware on my own without the need for these tools. But I think these things are great. So Irene, how would you recommend then that people listening today incorporate some of these principles that we've been talking about 
into their work, um, not only design, but just in general into their work that have helped you so much? So how should people incorporate spiritual design principles into their work? I mean, that's a that can be a very deep question at many levels. <laughs> so, you know, I, I will go in like at a, at a different levels at which one can understand or interpret that question and, and how I see it. Um, you know, at one level, just engage in the practice. Like when we uh, cultivate the ability to um, sit with ourselves, uh, we see ourselves more clearly. We're able to be more present. We're able to be better focused. And so that's going to help us be uh, better able to understand uh, what the experience or the product that we're creating is really about. So you could stay focused on the things that are most important. Um, Engaging in the practice also helps us cultivate an empathetic understanding of what people need, which allows us to build whatever we're making. Um, The technology that we're building is directed towards an empathetic understanding of user needs. And then by engaging in the practice, we're also able to just be more present, which allows us to better negotiate with stakeholders, uh, to generate a lot of ideas, um, and and just have a calmer, more playful way of being in the world. Um, There are some specific um, um, postures that yoga teachers often believe help with specific kinds of things. So for example, um, heart openers, like postures that help it open up the chest and the shoulders, are thought to, um, in the same way that they create more space in the chest cavity for the breath, they also create more space in our hearts to be open to other people, which allows us to be more receptive to other people and new ideas and thoughts. Um, Another example might be uh, hip openers. So, um, you know, when we have tight hips, our mobility is greatly restricted, and that tends to... um, Uh, hold us in a way that makes us less playful, less calm. And so by opening up the hips, it's thought to release negative emotions, which allows us then to be more playful and creative. Um, And then forward folds are known to be very introspective poses. So when it's time to kind of self-reflect and focus, um, forward folds are really good postures to engage in for that kind of thing. But ultimately, the best yoga practice really is not kind of like a you know, in the same way that you can't do a bunch of sit-ups in order to get a, a you know, a flat stomach, <laughs> it's really about the whole body. You know, the best practice is a balanced practice. Um, and then, you know, at a deeper level, um, when there's clarity about the self and an understanding of who we are and what we stand for and what's important to us, um, then it becomes much uh, easier for us to have clarity around what is this thing that we're trying to build? Like, what are we building? Who are we building this for? Why are we making this? And how are we going to serve the people uh, that we're building for with the offering that we have? And it's only by having these clear intentions and a clear understanding of values and virtues that you have um, kind of a soul in the product that you're making Um, whether it's a a physical product or a digital experience or whatever it is that we're making. And so at the deepest level, this is how mindfulness practices help us become better designers and help bring good design to whatever it is that we're making. This is really fascinating. And I'm, I'm really interested to know whether once you started incorporating all of these, this this discipline um, into your life, 
where did you start to see the most benefits? Was it in, you know, your personal, your day-to-day life, or was it actually in your work? It's everything. Um, you know, I, I, in my personal life, I became a better parent because I was more present with my kids. And they, they even say that they're like, wow, it is, you are so much calmer now and so much more sane than you were back when you had that crazy Google job. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it's like life is just as stressful. Um, It's really just how I move in the world and how I see it. And, um, you know, uh, when I was at Udacity, uh, when you're at an early stage startup with only 25 people or whatever things, um, there's a lot of pivoting that happens, a lot of confusion around um, what should the company focus on? Because there's so many different things that the company can do. And, um, like at a, on a daily level, um, whereas I would, you know, a lot of times after lunch, people feel kind of like a post lunch slump. They feel kind of tired and, um, it's really hard to think clearly. Like I found that with my regular yoga and meditation practice, I was able to see much more clearly. Like I had a lot more energy, um, and it was, it was, um, just things that were just not so clear suddenly became very lucid. Um, and so that's another example. And I think that really translated very well into having some clarity around how the company should, um, focus its strategy and what its competitive, uh, advantage, um, could be. And, and then in helping the executive team kind of understand like, what is that experience going to look like at a tangible level? And what are the hard decisions that we have to make in order to realize that strategy? And those are emotionally very difficult decisions. Um, but uh, when you set aside your ego and you understand like, okay, well, you know, we have to make these difficult decisions. This is going to hurt some people. It's going to make some people unhappy. This is really not about optimizing for being liked. It's not about optimizing to please those people. This is really about in service of a larger strategic mission uh, that we are trying to realize. So Irene, you work um, in the investor community and I'm really interested to know whether you think that this particular community is ready to incorporate some of the principles that you're talking about, such as empathy, such as um, um, awareness into their decisions of how um, how businesses or how technologies get funded. A lot of the times, um, the technologies that we use, um, the decisions that are made are based on their stickiness, on their ability to um, grab the attention of users. And I'm wondering whether you think that we're ready to start thinking about other um other measures of success, other measures that, that I guess, enhance human connection over and above um, the attention metrics? Well, I'm not sure if companies or employees are making the connection explicitly. Um, but, you know, there's certainly a rise in interest in mindfulness um, because people feel that it's the right thing and that it's going to benefit them and, um, you know, in some way. So, uh, it, there aren't necessarily metrics around this, and it's not necessarily something that investors are explicitly looking for, although I do know some investors who who do sort of have a, a nose for that and sort of screen for that. Um, but, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, 
it's an ingredient. It's it's kind of an underpinning that makes people successful. And so, to the extent that um, you know people want to um, be successful just to be happier, you know, then uh, they might engage in this. Um, sorry, I don't have a better answer <laughs> about that. But no, no, the investors are not looking for mindfulness practices in entrepreneurs, uh, you know, <laughs> but it's certainly something that's needed to be successful, I, I, I think, you know. And I think where entrepreneurs often fail is um, because there is a lack of self-awareness or a lack of willingness to look at their own stuff. And I think we're starting to see that right now in uh, some companies that are having trouble. Cool. Irene, what would you say in this hyper-connected world are some of the most important human traits and how do we cultivate those? I think what the world really needs right now is compassion. We need greater compassion for others. And that is really where we all meet, is in the heart. That's how we see each other. That's how we greet each other. It all happens in the heart. And mindfulness practices help cultivate awareness of our hearts so that we can begin to care for ourselves and all the people in our lives in a very different way. Um, so if, if we want to be elevated and if we want, expect other people to elevate and do things that will help us to be better in any realm of our life, we need to start with ourselves. We need to elevate ourselves. We need to understand ourselves and embrace ourselves. And that's how we get to learn the world is by learning ourselves. Um, and so by, by loving ourselves, the world loves us. And we're always teaching people how to treat us by the way that we treat ourselves. And so the place to start is really with self-love and a self-understanding. Um, and, and then that in turn, uh, cultivates greater compassion from other people for us and up and then outwardly also it helps cultivate greater compassion from within us to other people um irene where can people find out more about you and your work and connects with you uh so my twitter handle is at irene Ao, i-r-e-n-e-a-u and i also post a lot of my uh talks and uh essays on medium and so it's medium.com slash design dash your dash life, design your life and all the spaces of the hyphens where the spaces would be in between the words. Um, yeah. Fantastic. Well, Irene, um, it's a shame that we've got to, that we've got to end now, but it's been really fascinating having you on the show and having you share your wisdom with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me.